On Being is brought to you by the John Templeton Foundation, harnessing the power of the sciences to explore the deepest and most perplexing questions facing humankind. Learn how their grantees are helping to address the coronavirus crisis at templeton.org. Ramadan commemorates the month when the Quran's first verses were revealed to the Prophet Muhammad. It's marked by recitation of the Quran, prayer, and fasting from sunup to sundown. The Ramadan fast is a spiritual discipline of commitment and reflection, but it's also meant to align Muslims with the larger experience of need and hunger in the world. This year, of course, Muslims are experiencing a Ramadan like no other. The month is usually a period of both intimacy and great parties. Waking before the sun rises for breakfast, prayers with one's family, ending or breaking the fast after nightfall in celebration with friends and strangers. Now Muslims are improvising, as in many places Ramadan has been forced inside and online. This show grew out of an invitation to Muslim listeners leading up to Ramadan in 2009. We asked them to reflect with us on what it means to be part of what is often referred to in the abstract as the Muslim world. We received responses from all over the world and were especially struck by the vivid stories about Ramadan itself that nearly everyone had to tell across a remarkable spectrum of life and spiritual sensibility. First of all, it teaches you that you can do so much more than you think you can. And at the end of the day, when you take that first sip of water, it is the sweetest thing in the world. And also how it makes you compassionate, because when you're hungry, you understand the experience of those people who are hungry every day of their lives. Ramadan is not just predicated upon eating or not eating or drinking or not drinking. It's a state of mind, and it's an attempt to achieve God consciousness that carries on throughout the day. I'm Krista Tippett, and this is On Being. We begin with Summer Jarrah. She was born in Kuwait and has lived throughout the Middle East. She came to the U.S. in 1989. I just got back from Jordan, actually, last night, very late last night. And my family was telling me, why can't you just stay a bit longer and spend a week from Ramadan in Jordan or in Egypt. And I said, You're, you will never understand this, but the best Ramadan I ever spend in my life is always in America because I feel sometimes I'm the only person fasting. Uh, it's more strenuous. I feel like every day is a jihad for me, is a struggle uh, to maintain my faith, to maintain my fast despite the amazing food around me and the smells. If I go shopping or if I go to the mall, there is food everywhere. Everybody is eating except myself. And this brings me amazing strength. And uh, I wake up very early in the morning. Uh, I can be lecturing. I can be driving to my uh, classes uh, 100 miles each way. I can be feeding the homeless. I can, I can be doing amazing stuff that I would not be doing if I were living uh, uh, in a Muslim uh, country because the whole country would be fasting and I would be one of many.
Last year, I was giving two lectures in a row in Sarasota to a college, and the lecture starts one hour and a half before the time of breaking the fast. So I was giving the lecture, giving it, and at around 7.45, I paused, and I just took a date and a sip of water, and I told my students, I'm breaking my fasting, and I continued another hour and a half. And then I had an hour and a half to get back home, and I was not weak. I was full of life, and I felt, my God, now I understand what it means uh, to be fasting Ramadan in America. I bet you if I was living in my mom's house, I would be dead if I missed my meal uh, half an hour after the time of the breaking of the fast. This experience is priceless. And that's why I did everything. I even paid extra money for my ticket to make sure I arrive uh, before Ramadan starts because this is where I feel I'm really fasting with a, with a meaning and, and a purpose. Especially um, it happens that during Ramadan we go and feed the homeless. So I, there is so much food I'm giving those people. And people are telling me, why don't you taste it? Why don't you taste it? And I tell them, I can't, I'm fasting. And they say, why don't you just have a sip of water? And I say, I can't, I'm fasting. And you can't imagine how blessed I feel that I'm feeding homeless people and I am fasting and I can't touch the food. And that's the whole idea of Ramadan, not to be able to eat, to feel with the poor and the deprived. And and I just love it. Uh, my name is Wajahat Ali, and I'm from the Bay Area, California. Wajahat is a first-generation Pakistani-American, a playwright who trained as a lawyer. Since we spoke, he's become an op-ed contributor to the New York Times. I remember when I was in, when he used to go to UC Berkeley, we used to always say, breaking the fast, we're breaking the fast, we're breaking the fast, we're breaking the fast. But uh, I remember in my Arabic teacher, is like, no, linguistically, uh, and what you're doing is actually you're opening your fast. Uh, you're opening your fast with the date. So from then on, I've, I've always said opening my fast. And, you know, essentially the act of worship continues throughout the month. It just doesn't end with the fast, right? And I've been growing up with non-Muslims my whole life, right? So sometimes I give you... Most of my friends were being atheists also and agnostics, which I thought was great, and Christians. So sometimes, you know, once in a while I give you these snide comments. And they're like, you know, how does a Muslim fast during Ramadan if he has, like, you know, sugar problems? And how, what does a Muslim do if he can eat if he has to eat? And I kept telling him that Ramadan is not just uh, predicated upon eating or not eating or drinking or not drinking. It's a state of mind, and it's an attempt to achieve God consciousness that uh, carries on throughout the day. So even if you can't eat the date, you can be nice to your neighbor. You can repair relations with your family members, right? And uh, you know you can help prepare the meal for the Muslim who fasts. And so your fast continues after you open it with the date. There's a, there's a great story that I tell, and I wish I had more opportunities to tell it. You know, Islam has a lot of beauty in it. And I can understand the viewpoint of many in America who see the violence and arrogance espoused by reactionaries, uh, which mars the beauty of Islam in their eyes. But And that's understandable. As a Muslim American, I can understand why people would have that uh, reaction and limited understanding of Islam. 
But, you know, it's also a religion which inspires the poetry of Rumi, you know, whose love for the divine has uh, created verses that survive 800 years and nourish the spirits of lovers uh, around the globe. And when it comes to Ramadan, uh, some, of the, some of the most beautiful moments uh, that exist within the Muslim community and within Islam becomes manifest during this month. And I remember one time when I went to uh, Mecca, which is, you know, a very, the, one, the, the holiest site uh, of pilgrimage for Muslims. And I was in Mecca and I was doing Umrah. And Umrah is essentially like a mini version of a Hajj. It's, the, it's the, the easiest way I can explain it. And I was in college and it was during Ramadan. And I had just come, uh, finished Umrah, which was about, took, took about two and a half hours. And I haven't eaten anything. And I'm fasting. And it's hot. And I'm wearing these two white shawls. And I remember uh, praying that, you know, uh, I wish the sun would set and I'm hungry. And I remember in this Majid al-Haram, that's the name of the the mosque, with what you call the black cube, the Kaaba in it, the sun set and the entire world just woke up and everyone went to the mosque. And I remember about 15 or 20 children came up to me and each one taking my hand and my and my and you know tugging my finger uh, and and with the smiles on their faces saying come 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 to the mosque come to the mosque in arabic and basically what they had done is that they had prepared a small bowl with a date and some fruit and some milk uh thousands of them thousands of these bowls on these mats for all uh the muslims uh, around the city who were coming to the mosque and so these children with uh, who I've never met before in this life, you know, just one after another, one after another, just come, come to the bowl that I prepared, come eat the bowl from my prepared, no, please eat my bowl, please eat my bowl. And uh, I sat there eating this bowl, opening my fast uh, next to strangers I've never met before and greeted them with peace in the mosque, in the holy mosque. And uh, there was just a, a sense of overwhelming beauty and I, and I really, it's a memory that I cherish that sometimes, you know, when, when you see the, the violence and the extremism and the arrogance and the ignorance and the anger, that memory uh, nourishes me. Yanina Vyshenko lives in Dallas. In an essay she wrote to us, she shared how Ramadan was a way into Islam for her. So I first fasted for Ramadan, and I loved it. It was strange because I have never been a person who skipped a meal or gave up the extra piece of cake. So how could I not eat or drink the whole day over and over again? It had to be something bigger than my base desires that was driving me. And that was the most peaceful I had ever felt. It was unreal. And of course, it was not something I was going to forget about, but it led me further and further into Islamic practices. Yanina's family moved from Russia to Texas when she was eight years old. She was raised in Eastern Orthodox Christianity, spent several years as a non-denominational Christian, and converted to Islam in her early 20s. I know a lot of converts, and I know the convert syndrome, especially with Islam. And that is to be better than and more pious than the born Muslims because you feel like you have to make up for the fact that you're starting late or you don't know all the rules and things like that. And I don't have that 
feeling at all. So I don't use Arabic words in my speech. I don't dress a certain way because in Islam it, it doesn't say you have to. I mean, I haven't found any proof that you have to. And that's the good thing about it. This religion in particular tells you you choose your own path. You use your own brain and you act according to the rules that have been given. But there's always that uh, emphasis on finding out the best way to do something. Two special resonance moments, I guess, would be the the first time I fasted for, for Ramadan. I actually did it for the whole 30 days. It was just a, a completely new experience for me. You you just get this indescribable, peaceful feeling. I mean, it's almost you don't know why it's happening, but not only are you practicing self-restraint, and it's almost like you're doing something for a, a higher power, I guess that's where the peaceful feeling comes in. And that was the first time I had ever felt that way before. So that that's a special memory. And also... It's hard to learn the movements and the prayers in Arabic, you know, and do them in the correct way and sequence. It took a while of, you know, practicing in order to commit that to memory. So when I could do it, I felt like um, not just, um, it was almost like a, I was finally committed to something. And when you, it, it was something that was a little difficult and anytime something is difficult, you appreciate it more when you succeed or you master it, I guess. So in that sense, it was uh, a, an accomplishment. And from now on, I'll never forget those words. You know, once you commit something to memory, even if you don't say it for a long time, it's always there. And I feel like no matter what, I can always pray and use those words to to have peace and, and inner calm. I'm Krista Tippett, and this is On Being. Today, revealing Ramadan, exploring the delights and the meaning of Islam's holiest month. So my name is uh, Maria Enriqueta Romero. Maria is Mexican-American, grew up Roman Catholic, and married an Arab Muslim man. But only after their divorce did she convert to Islam. I think the most difficult Ramadan was I hadn't converted to Islam yet. But I was, quote, studying Islam. And so that Ramadan came around and I was fasting. And my mother was quite opposed to me coming to Islam. Like, why didn't you come to Islam while you're married to this person? That I could understand. I can't understand you do it on your own. And years passed. In order to support him, I would fast with him during Ramadan, even though I wasn't a Muslim. And the year we got married, Ramadan and Lent fell around the same time. And I had told them, okay, I'll, I'll fast with you, but on Fridays we have to break our fast with fish because I can't have meat on Fridays. You know, but things get better. Last year we opened our home to single and convert Muslim females because I know what it's like to not have a tradition, a family gathering in your home and specific particular meals for Ramadan. And last year was the first year that I felt I had a home large enough where I could welcome someone and that I had the financial resources to be able to say, you're welcome in our home. I may not know you, 
but you're a convert or you're a single sister and I don't want you to be alone for at least one night. We would do it on Wednesdays and we're not having it in my home this year, but we're having it in cabanas because they're larger because we hope to have more women. Ibrahim Al-Marashi grew up Iraqi-American in Northern California. Now a scholar of modern history with a focus on the Middle East, he's taught in the U.S., Turkey, and Spain. I was studying as an undergrad at UCLA. And I remember that during the day, a fellow Iraqi Muslim who was, doesn't practice the faith she knew I was fasting, yet she was still eating an ice cream in my faith to kind of top my uh, practice of my religious belief at the university. And it, it, it kind of that, I remember that moment because usually when you think about Muslims, you think of this one monolithic block who's engaged in kind of these Islamic rituals without any kind of deviation. Yet I, I still remember this girl eating her Baskin and Robbins ice cream in the classroom. At the same time, there was a Jewish person in the class, uh, an Iranian a Jew from Iran, and he was also had an ice cream. It was a very hot day. And he knew I was fasting, and he walked out of the classroom. And it just goes to show me that, you know, these, you have this kind of image of Judaism and Islam locked in this kind of intractable conflict. Yet it's those kind of daily moments. Here is a Jew from Iran, more considerate of my religious beliefs than a fellow Iraqi Muslim, that kind of reminded me of the, that it doesn't matter what religion you are, you, you could be sensitive to other people's beliefs. I mean, one of the interests I have, are, particularly living in Islamic Spain, is this kind of interplay of this kind of harmony in Jewish-Muslim relations, as well as the, what the Spanish term, the convivencia, the ability of Spaniards, uh, Jews, Muslims, and Christians alike to live together. This is one of the areas I find in that's fascinating to research, and I often remember that Ramadan incident when I'm reading various books and sources on this subject. My name is Sahar Uma. Sahar comes from a Bengali family. She's an artist and an academic in New York City. She spoke with us from South Florida, where she grew up. I have a lot of stories. Um, the first Ramadan that I actually fasted the entire month, um, I happened to be in sixth grade, and uh, I was really excited. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna be like an adult, and I'm gonna fast the entire month. And the, you know, Ramadan. Um, like in the States especially, is always marked by Muslims debating whether the moon was sighted and whether today is the day or tomorrow, you know, the next day is actually the first day of Ramadan. But anyways, so the first day of Ramadan happened to be the first on the day of the first field trip of the year. And I was so excited about this field trip because we'd get to go to McDonald's for lunch and we didn't have to bring our bagged lunches. So, like, when I found out that Ramadan was starting on the day of 
the field trip, I was so <laughs> mad. <laughs> and then I thought to myself, you know, I should be a really good spiritual person and consider this as like part of the struggle, you know, the struggle being Muslim. <laughs> um, and of course, my friends, they didn't make it any easier. So <laughs> when we went to McDonald's and everybody ordered their meals, um, I just sat there staring at them, and I remember one of my friends, <laughs> she kept eating her fries, like, really slowly in front of me and telling me, like, mm, don't you want some fries? Don't you wish you could eat these? <laughs> and I kept saying, no, I'm fasting, I'm fasting, I can't eat them. And then, at the, like, maybe uh, half an hour later, or before we were about to leave, the manager came up. And she was like, I'm looking for a young lady in a plaid shirt. And she saw me, and she said, uh, well, uh, this is for you. There was uh, two gentlemen who uh, wanted me to give this to you. And there were, like, two big meals, like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> with a burger and fries and drinks. <laughs> I remember those two men, like, they were looking at us because all of my friends were teasing me. And they were wearing scrubs, so they looked like, you know, they were either med students or physicians. Um, and they must have thought, one, that I was poor and I didn't have the money to get food and I was too proud to ask anyone else for food, <laughs> or that I was starving myself. <laughs> but anyways, it was a really nice gesture, you know. But at the same time, I couldn't eat it. There were still four hours left for breaking the fast. Uh, so, so I gave away the burgers, and I gave away the drinks, and I and I broke my fast with the fries and my first uh, Ramadan. <laughs> That's always a you know a memory I I turn to and laugh about. Speaking of being Muslim in America, <laughs> yeah. My name is Mary Hope Schwobel. Mary was raised Presbyterian. With the social justice movements of the 1960s, her parents became more secular, and so did she. But that changed when she met the man who had become her husband, a Somali Muslim. When he proposed, I, I actually volunteered. He didn't ask me to convert because, as you know, Islam enables women to, I mean, men to marry women of the book. In other words, Jews and Christians don't have to convert. It's acceptable for a Muslim man to marry them. Um, and it was easy for me to convert because Islam is so logical. And I, he impressed me in a million ways. He, he wasn't a feminist. He's not a feminist still. He would never call himself a feminist. And yet, I think because of his Muslim beliefs, he had more fundamental respect for, for women than, than anybody I'd ever met. So in some ways, I felt like he was more of a feminist in practice than than uh, anybody I'd met, met who called themselves a feminist. During a past Ramadan at my children's school, they were, you know, into diversity training and this, that, and the other. And this was post, they were in middle school. And it was post 9-11. 9-11 happened when they were in middle school. And there was a little girl, a Somali girl, who got up to speak, and she was a good friend of my daughter's, and my daughter never covered her head. This little girl does cover her head. Then she explained about how Ramadan makes you 
you know, how it um, makes you humble, how it instills humility, and also how it makes you compassionate because when you're hungry, you understand the experience of those people who are hungry every day of their lives. And I think it was so meaningful to me because it also, because it resonated so much with my work because I do work in international conflict zones and in third world countries where people are, in fact, hungry and in development and whatnot. That really, you know, to me, integration is very important and that my work reflect my beliefs and my religion is important to me. And and then, so when she told me that, that you know, that was just a, was one of those uh, aha moments, I guess you would call it. My name is Adnan, although I am Turkish. My name is Arabic after my great-grandfather's name. And uh, right after the 9-11, this name, Adnan, has been uh, on the most wanted list of, of FBI. And so it had a certain association uh, in people's mind. And hearing Adnan, people were getting a little uh, concerned, maybe. Adnan Onart lives in Cambridge, Massachusetts, where he's an active Muslim member of a Unitarian Universalist congregation. We finish this first half of our program with a poem, Ramadan in Dunkin' Donuts, which Adnan wrote and read for us. Ramadan in Dunkin' Donuts. From his asking about the time and double-checking his watch, I understood. He was about to break his fast. Salamun alaykum, I said, the only Arabic I knew for all practical purposes. Alaykum salam, he replied. He was setting his table, two donuts, one chocolate glaze, the other Boston cream, and a thick lentil soup he had apparently brought from the grocery store across the street. Do you want to sit down and share? I thanked him, no. Aren't you fasting? I explained my high blood pressure, my medication. He pointed to one of the donuts. Still, he said, let's share. The collapsing twin towers, the beheaded hostages, and the jumpy look on people's faces hearing my name. We already do, I said. a short break, Ramadan on a shop floor in the Garment District of New York, Ramadan sermons in Texas devoted to domestic violence, Ramadan in Manchester, England, Ramadan and Rumi. You can always listen again and hear every show we do on the On Being podcast feed, wherever podcasts are found. Support for On Being with Krista Tippett comes from the Fetzer Institute, helping build the spiritual foundation for a loving world. Fetzer envisions a world that embraces love as a guiding principle and animating force for our lives, a powerful love that helps us live in sacred relationship with ourselves, others, and the natural world. Learn more by visiting Fetzer.org.
I'm Krista Tippett, and this is On Being. Today we're exploring the delights and the gravity of Ramadan, Islam's holiest month. Ramadan commemorates the revelation of the earliest verses of the Quran to the Prophet Muhammad. It shifts along the Western calendar across time, according to cycles of the moon, and depending on the lunar cycles of any given year, it's either 29 or 30 days long. Several years ago, we invited a wonderful array of Muslims to tell us what it means to observe Ramadan in spiritual terms and in their everyday lives. We put their voices and stories back into the world now as Islam's holiest month is improvised like all else. Prayers and the daily celebration of breaking the fast have, in many places, been forced inside and online. My name is Feruze Faison. I am from Turkey, and I've been living in the United States in New York City for the past 20-something years. After an early marriage in the U.S., Feruze met the love of her life, who happened to be a woman. This is a source of estrangement between her and her family. Her Islamic sensibility is deeply influenced by the Sufi poetry of Rumi. Fasting is a very interesting experience. The fact that, first of all, it teaches you that you can do so much more than you think you can. Um... It could be 90 degrees, and on a regular day, which is not Ramadan, on a regular day when you don't have to fast, you can't go without drinking water more than, more than an hour. But during Ramadan, for some reason, you can. You can go the whole day, and at the end of the day, when you take that first sip of water, it is the sweetest thing in the world. Um, that accomplishment, that, wow, I, I can actually do this. Um, that, that was always a big deal for me. Even as a young child, even though I, 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 I didn't do the whole month, but I did a, a day here, a day there, I was like, wow, I could actually do this. If I can do this, God knows what else I can do. And fasting clears your clears my mind I should I can only talk for myself but I feel that it really I can concentrate more and I can meditate much deeper and um, the reason for this I as I read from a um, author from Turkey Ahmed Hulusi he explains it he says when you're not fasting, a lot of your blood and a lot of your bodily energy is around your intestines, your stomach, so your brain loses out on a lot of energy. But once, once you st- uh, stop input to the stomach, <laughs> um, now your body can really heal other parts, and, um, and the brain can take as much energy as, as it needs and wants. So your thought is much clearer and your understanding, when you read, when you meditate, you understand much more. My name is Tayeba Sayyid. Tayeba is a mother of three. She's an author and a journalist and has written several books for children. 
In My Faith, she wrote to us, parents are highly regarded. We have to honor and respect them unreservedly and treat them with utter kindness. Her Ramadan story revolves around her father, who passed away a few months after she spoke with us. I do remember um, watching my parents and my older siblings fasting as a younger child and wanting to, you know, be able to fast too because it's, it's such a big part of our faith. And so I, I think I was um, maybe nine or ten years old. And um, kids do not have to fast till, um after puberty or when to venture puberty. So, you know, I, I, I woke up. We have to eat before the sun comes up in the morning. So I woke up, you know, and I had some breakfast. And I think around nine, ten o'clock, um, I told my father, I was like, I think I can do this. I think I can continue the rest of the fast. And he was so concerned, and he's like, no, 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 you know, you're too little. You do not need to fast. It's not obligatory on you. Don't worry about it. And I was like, no, Dad, I can do it. Just just let me try. Just let me get through the rest of the day. And, and he's like, you know, let's, let's take baby steps. You know, you woke up. That's a big thing. You had breakfast with us. That's a big thing. You know, maybe, maybe next year you can fast for half the day. But um, I remember he's like, here, drink this water and, and break your fast and and I was so devastated. I felt like I was so disappointed. And um, but when I was able to fast, you know, um, it was it was a great big deal. And it's a very with the child's first fast is is a big deal in in, in our faith. And but yeah, that's that's one of the first memories I have of um, Ramadan. And it's it's a beautiful month um, of spirituality and unity and family and community coming together. And um, a lot of time in the mosque and prayer and reading the Quran and um, I, I love it. I'm really excited about the month. My name is uh, Ali Ramadan and I'm from Durwood, Maryland. I, I was born in, as a, a Muslim here in the America more than 65 years ago and I did not stress that fact. Uh, in my life as a child. Ali is the father of 11 children and a retired federal prosecutor. Well, first off, my, my faith, what I enjoy about it and what I've always treasured about it is that I saw it as a personal faith. In, in other words, there was nothing between me and my God. And so it allowed me to interpret certain things. It allowed me a greater freedom in my understanding of my God. And so as I try to practice my faith and praying five times a day, it constantly, in a sense, keeps me in as a reminder and in contact with my 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 faith in my God, and therefore I try to remain humble. I think it helps me to remain humble. And when you remain humble in a world, you you approach people in a kind of a equality. It manifests itself in everything I do because I uh, am a diabetic. I don't fast during the month of Ramadan. I, I know the month of Ramadan 
is a time of discipline, but I don't see fasting and I don't see it as something that God wanted us to put our lives in danger on. There are other ways that I try to uh, celebrate the month. I try to be a little more generous than I normally am. And, and so I try to compensate in other ways. My name is Ilana Leze. Uh, my father, who is Palestinian, lives in San Francisco, and my mother is actually Israeli-American, who converted to Islam. And my stepfather is Pakistani. So I have a really mixed family, and we have, you know, really mixed heritage. Ilana shared many stories with us, but for her, it's her family's religious diversity that illustrates a quintessential aspect of being Muslim in the United States. My grandfather, who's a staunch Israeli uh, veteran and was, Pum, you know, Pumach War veteran, he was um, was kind of, I guess, uncomfortable with the idea of my mother being Muslim, you know, for a long time, and he still is. But that never stopped him from kind of respecting when I was fasting. For instance, one of my brothers was, like, teasing me and, you know, you know eating food in front of me while I was fasting, and he kind of gave him, like, you know, a clap and was like, stop being, you know, a schmuck, basically. <laughs> and uh, I, you know, I was kind of surprised by that. It was kind of that, you know, interesting uh, juxtaposition, you know, when you compare it to the culture in which I was raised in. Very Israeli, but also very Muslim at the same time, and... um my my father's family is very uh, Palestinian, I would say. We come from, like, Al-Azir family is, uh, like, a long tradition of, you know, tribes and rulers o- over in Palestine. So it was just interesting to have that, that juxtaposition. Ramadan usually comes at different parts of the season, depending on what year you're talking about. Because it's based on the moon calendar, I remember one time it came upon, you know, uh, I'd say Christmas time, and there were so many lights outside. And so I remember my mom was visiting a friend who's actually a convert from Christianity, and, uh, you know, we all piled in the car, my grandfather, my mother, um, even my step-grandmother at the time, who converted, she was She's actually African-American and was originally a Southern Baptist but converted to Judaism in order to marry my grandfather. And I remember uh, we went out to go see the lights during this one Ramadan night, and we started singing, like, you know, these Christmas songs. And by the end of it, we were also singing, like, these Jewish songs. And it was just <laughs> during Ramadan, you know, with a majority of people in the car were Muslim. So we had, so we were just like a whole bunch of like, <laughs> you know, a puzzle piece and uh, kind of odd ones, I suppose. Uh, my name is Nadia Sheikh Bandukta. I live near Princeton, New Jersey. My father was born and raised in Kenya, 
uh, moved to England, came to America, sounded just like me um, or any other Joe. <laughs> and um, my mom was uh, from Pakistan, came over um, when she was 15, but still sounds like she just moved over. Nadia is an attorney who specializes in labor and employment issues. Her Ramadan memory takes place in the Garment District of New York City in a household goods store owned by her father. After he came back from England, he opened up um, a small retail store, and it was a largely Jewish-populated district, and it's a largely Jewish-populated kind of business as well. And my father's business partner was a man named uh, Isaac Cohen, and uh, he broke the fast with us almost every time I visited the store with my dad. We would just sit around. Um, the security guards were African descent. The cashiers were from, you know, Southeast Asia. The women on the floor that helped the customers with certain questions were Hispanic. Um, you know, exactly kind of the microcosm of what New York is uh, in the small retail store, you know, with about 40 employees and at the time to break fast, you would see the people behind the register just kind of eating and <laughs> breaking the fast and this us going around with trays and me and my sisters going around with trays, giving dates to everyone in the store. Sometimes customers would be like, oh, can I, I mean, do you sell these in the store? And, no, we're breaking the fast. Would you like one? And they would eat it and it would be interesting. And they would ask where it was sold. And it was not about the eating. It was about sharing. Um, it, it was nice. It was just a, it was a whole experience there. I'm Krista Tippett, and this is On Being. Today, revealing Ramadan, exploring the delights and the meaning of Islam's holiest month. When I first started the the transition from party girl to I'm going to wear hijab and and devote myself to God, um, it was definitely a rough transition. There's a lot that you have to learn if you want to really take another religion into your heart. Nicole Queen was born in Houston and raised Southern Baptist. Out of college, she worked as a photographer covering celebrities and nightlife. As she grew disillusioned with that lifestyle, she became intrigued with the ideas and preaching of Yusuf Estes, a fellow Protestant Christian Texan who converted to Islam nearly three decades ago. Now in her 30s, Nicole is a practicing Muslim, as is her husband and his family. I started to fast the month of Ramadan two years before I actually converted to Islam because I I used to think it was just a pretty cool thing. Like people said, you know what, this month I'm not going to eat or drink anything until the sun goes down. And that kind of makes you all equal. Like everybody is hungry, everybody's thirsty. and And it also humbles you. Like it teaches you what it's like for the people who don't have access to all the food and water that we have. And I remember my first year uh, to fast Ramadan as a Muslim, I thought, oh, you know, I've done this before. But when you fast as a Muslim, I remember it was just completely different feeling. You feel like you're glowing the whole month, you know, and it's a really tough thing to do because when you fast as a Muslim, you're not just fasting, um, you have lots of extra praying and everything, your intentions the whole time are about, you know, worship and about what you're offering to God and, and your sacrificing that you're making. And you get together with other families. 
when you first become a Muslim, you just feel kind of alone. Like as a convert, you feel kind of alone because you're a convert to them and to your family, you're pretty rebellious. You're being really different, you know? And so I remember that first Ramadan, I really felt like I had, I had a place with people, you know, I had a home with them and I had a place with, uh, with my in-laws. And so that's, I think that that first Ramadan was when I actually started to feel like, I I belong to one group or the other. You know, it, it really was kind of a, a special moment for me in that. Yeah, my name is Sabiha Sharif, and I was born in Bombay, India, now known as Mumbai. And uh, we've been here, we migrated to this country in 1982. For most of her life in the U.S., Sabiha lived in New Jersey, where she worked in the corporate world. She's now retired and living in Texas. As she tells her Ramadan story, she uses the Arabic word for mosque, masajid. There is this organization that I'm a member of. It's called the Texas Muslim Women's Foundation. And uh, last Ramadan, they had a domestic violence awareness day in all the masajids in the Metroplex on the same day, which was the second Friday of Ramadan. And uh, that really comes to my mind because um, it was every, uh, you know, on Fridays they have a sermon which is called the khutbah every Friday. And that particular Friday, which was the second Friday of Ramadan, this organization made it, um, requested all the uh, masajids in the Metroplex to give a khutbah uh, pertaining to domestic violence. And uh, I think that was the, it was really beautiful because um, it brought the awareness. It, there's a lot of domestic abuse going on, you know, in families here, and uh, it brought the awareness to the general public. And um, I thought it was great because the same uh, thought, the same uh, message was relayed throughout the Metroplex area on one single Friday, and it was done in the holy month so that, you know, I think people are more aware during this month because uh, zakat, the obligatory charity that they have to do, is mostly encouraged in the month of Ramadan. And uh, people just open their hearts and their wallets, and there are so many causes that come up in the masajids. So many people come and ask for funds, and people just give and give, you know, no matter what their financial status. And that, I think, is the, one of the beautiful things in Ramadan. My name is uh, Stephen Longdon. I'm from uh, Manchester, which is in the north of England. So this year, um, at the start of Ramadan, which you need to appreciate that um, the Islamic day starts at sundown, as, as with the Jewish faith. So at the start of um, Ramadan this year, it was about half past eight in the evening. And so we're all, you know, wishing each other um, a happy Ramadan in the family and our neighbours and sending emails and texts and telephone calls. And obviously the children do that with all their grandparents and friends. And it's, it's, it's an exciting time, as you can imagine, for, for everybody in the family. Stephen converted to Islam in 1990. The whole of the Quran, divided into 30 parts, is read in Muslim congregations and families across the month of Ramadan. We close this hour with Stephen's reading of a passage from the Quran that expresses the essence of faith and of Ramadan for him. Now you have to forgive me because my uh, 
<laughs> because we're fasting, my throat's a little dry, so forgive me if it sounds a little raspy. So I'm going to I'm going to recite um, a chapter of the Quran, which comes towards the end of the Quran. It's one of the short chapters, and it's called in Arabic Surat al-Asr. The chapter's name is Time. So here goes. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. والعصر إن إنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواسوا بالحق وتواسوا بالصبر. So that's my little effort reciting the Quran, and in English I'll I'll translate that. So we we start every chapter. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, which means in the name of Allah, the most merciful, the most kind. With regards to time, surely humankind is at a loss, except those who believe and do good deeds and are steadfast in truth and are steadfast with patience. And that's it. <laughs> This show came about while we were listening for stories about living Islam, and nearly every person had a defining, sparkling Ramadan memory to share. We're currently exploring questions and opportunities to create more listener-generated On Being episodes. If you have ideas about questions or themes for future shows like this, send us a message on social media or email us at mail at onbeing.org. The On Being Project is located on Dakota land. Our lovely theme music is provided and composed by Zoe Keating. And the last voice that you hear singing at the end of our show is Cameron Kinghorn. On Being is an independent production of The On Being Project. It's distributed to public radio stations by PRX. I created this show at American Public Media. Our funding partners include the John Templeton Foundation, harnessing the power of the sciences to explore the deepest and most perplexing questions facing humankind, learn about cutting-edge research on the science of generosity, gratitude, and purpose at templeton.org discoveries, the Fetzer Institute, helping to build the spiritual foundation for a loving world. Find them at fetzer.org. Calliopeia Foundation, dedicated to reconnecting ecology, culture, and spirituality, supporting organizations and initiatives that uphold a sacred relationship with life on Earth. Learn more at calliopeia.org. Humanity United, advancing human dignity at home and around the world. Find out more at humanityunited.org, part of the Omidyar Group. The Osprey Foundation, a catalyst for empowered, healthy, and fulfilled lives. And the Lilly Endowment, an Indianapolis-based private family foundation dedicated to its founders' interests in religion, community development, and education. On Being is produced by On Being Studios in Minneapolis, Minnesota.